Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am Josh Heath, and I am your host. And today, we are going to be reviewing the Tribe Book Shadow Lords, first edition. Now, this is an episode of the Galliard Rants, uh, which is a sub-section of the Werewolf the Podcast episodes where I don't do the normal um, type of editing and background elements and things like that because I'm recording it while I'm driving. Now, I do have a headset, and as I've said in the other Galliard Rants episodes, I'm making sure that I'm safe even while I'm talking through, you know, doing the podcast in this style. The reason I'm doing it is because I am working on several projects in the background beyond Storyteller's Vault uh, elements that we're creating, also working on a Savage World setting for high-level games to be publishing pretty soon. So I've got a lot of moving plates and a lot of spinning plates, a lot of moving pieces, and trying to do a few different things, but also give our listeners some material that you can listen to and enjoy about Werewolf the Apocalypse. Because this is one of my favorite World of Darkness games, and I do want to talk about it, and I do want to give back to the community that is so supportive of all of the different projects that I do. So that's part of what I'm trying to do with uh, with Werewolf the Podcast now, and you know, while I'm driving, I can talk, so why not utilize the time effectively? So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, and I'm going to dive into the tribe book from what I remember reading rather than having it in front of me. And I've got to tell you, I've read this tribe book probably about 18 times in the last few weeks. And you're like, wait, Josh, how can you read a book? without having time to record, why weren't you just recording it one of those times you wasted reading through the book? It's because I have lots of little short bursts where I can sit down, read five pages, but I wouldn't be able to record even 20 minutes or a half hour because I'm going to get interrupted. Either my daughter's going to have something that needs to happen, or I've got to do something for work, or one other thing or another pops up. So I've read this book a bunch, and I'm going to say this right out the gate. The Shadow Lords are my favorite tribe for Werewolf the Apocalypse. That's hands down, no question. I'm never going to give you another tribe that I'm going to say is above the Shadow Lords unless the creators of (laughs) Werewolf decide to come out with a new tribe that I've never heard of that is amazing in Werewolf 5th Edition. For now... I can tell you without a fa- without any question, without any challenges, that the Shadow Lords are number one in my book. With that said, this tribe book has some weird elements to it that make me confused and wonder at times if the writers really were kind of thinking through how the elements they were presenting were going to work in play, but also how they were going to kind of interact with the rest of the um, kind of elements stated in the core book, particularly about the litany and things like that. That said, the writers know what they're doing. The writers were presenting the elements from a, a slightly different perspective at times, and I think it's interesting to see 
why and how and what they were, were going for. And this book came out, um, and this is the only problem with doing this as a Galliard Rants episode, is I believe this book came out in 1995, but it might have came out in 1996. Um, it's one of the later tribe books. It's not the last one, uh, but it's definitely one of the later ones. And... <clears throat> Let's start with the comic and kind of my concerns slash this is well done sort of feedback for it. Um, the comic presents the this intrigue situation going on within a Dark Ages setting. That's what I would assume based on the dress, based on the swords, and the sorts of, uh, of window dressing background elements that are in the comic that this is not modern day. And if it is modern day, it's happening in a place where people still dress like they're medieval um, lords and things like that, which would be odd. I suppose it's not impossible, but it would be odd. So the comic presents this love triangle, love box, love of web, uh, <laughs> between um, pretty much every character that is in the comic itself. And I think there are, I want to say there are four, maybe five characters in this comic. And all of them have some sort of intertwining uh, relationship issue that is affecting them. The problem with that is they're all Garu. They're all werewolves. And there's no implication that there's any negativity in relation to the litany based on their actions. Now, I personally think without the litany elements of Werewolf the Apocalypse, that would be amazing. With that in mind, it makes me go, wait, that child of Gaia that is supposedly sleeping with the Shadow Lord and the Silver Fang and that other dude, how is everybody okay with this kind of out in the open and wait she's married to one of them how does that work isn't that not okay in garu society you can't have a mate that's another garu isn't that culturally taboo i i don't know it was very odd and very oddly presented that no one questioned those sorts of elements in the story it does present the the view that the Shadow Lords are very much the intrigue heavy uh, Garu, the very like old school politicking. They're the dark masters in Transylvania style of werewolves, and there's a lot of overlap in the tribe between vampire and between werewolf elements, and I think you see that in the way the initial comic is presented, and that's interesting. It is a good lead into the tribe. It just doesn't feel consistent with the world, per se. And then you get into the elements of the, the tribe's history and what the tribe's about, and it's presented from the angle of different Shadow Lords lying to this cub or this Cleath that are, they are slowly learning what it means to be a Shadow Lord. And all of them say, what I am telling you is a lie, X, Y, and Z, and then they'll go into the story. Or at one point, one of them says, everything I'm going to tell you is truth. And then they say at the end, I lied to you about everything that I just said. 
And this is supposed to give us a general idea of what the Shadow Lords are like. They present themselves as we are the leaders from the second echelon, we often hide in the shadows, we do the underhanded things that the Alphas, that the um, Silver Fangs, and all of these other uh, groups cannot do. We do them because they need to be done, and this is how the nation still stands, and this is how the nation is protected by our actions. All of that are elements that I am interested in from a Shadow Lord perspective, but I really do think it plays into the stereotype that other tribes have of the Shadow Lords, that they are always the ones telling lies. And often, what I find really interesting, and I kind of, if you're fans of Game of Thrones, I think Littlefinger is a good example of this type of, of trope, but he's done in a, a, a slightly better way in that he actually often tells the truth straight up. But it's well-placed truth with just enough information to cause people to make or take specific actions. And that is what I think the Shadow Lords really should be trying to do. And by having them say, what I'm telling you is a lie, or these things that I'm presenting to you are lies, it goes against what the tribe could be doing and doing what they do well. Yes, they are the Geru that take care of things under the auspice of no one else can do this. No one else is going to be willing to do this. We will work with worm servants. We will work with vampires. We'll, hell, the Shadow Lords will say we'll work with anyone if what we do ultimately helps the nation, helps the Garu as a people, helps me. Because some of them are very, very selfish. And I think that's totally understandable, particularly if you dig into some of the historical slash character elements, I, I guess we could call them, of Grandfather Thunder. With Grandfather Thunder being the totem of the tribe, who is ultimately an an entity that is very powerful. He is world-encompassing. Thunder and lightning and all of these elements can be, dis can be found around the world, and there are reflections of different versions of Grandfather Thunder in so many mythological constructs that he is practically on a Celestine level. He's not. He's not on Gaia or Luna's level, but he is very, very close. He could be, if there was a strong second layer between the totems and the uh, Celestines, Grandfather Thunder would, we, would be one of those powers. And he has a lot of arrogance over that. He has a lot of sense of, I should be given more respect as a whole than I am given based on the power that I have. And that is a sense that pervades the entire tribe, a sense of nobility, but also a sense of kind of conceited knowledge of their own power and authority. And though that's the major weakness, I would say, of the tribe, is that they know that what they do is important, and they have no humility about that. And I think that's the part that other tribes often see and often 
are annoyed by or frustrated by, and it's fairly understandable. When you have someone that is clearly privileged and clearly capable and clearly arrogant about that, it's hard to, to want that person to be around, even as much as you know, oh, I need them. You often don't want them around. You often don't want them to be doing anything other than, well, when I need you, I'm going to call on you. And that's problematic for the Shadow Lords because they want to be in charge. Not necessarily they want to overthrow the Silver Fangs, though there is a whole group of Shadow Lords that do want to do that. But a good percentage of them are like, no, I'm... I'm really actually totally fine being and doing and living where I am within the nation and kind of calling it that. I don't need to be in charge because the good thing about being the vizier or the good thing about being the beta is that I get to be just as in charge as I want to be. But when someone needs to kill a figurehead, guess who's going on the chopping block, sir? It is you, Silverfang Alpha, and I'm okay with that. And I think that's totally understandable. And I like almost all of the elements that the Shadow Lords bring to the game because of all of the nuances there. Um, unlike some of the other tribes, uh, I haven't talked about their ethnic component and connection yet. Um, they are connected in some ways with Eastern Europe, and this is where they kind of get connected to the Zemisi and all of those connections with Vampire because they're based in Transylvania. They also have some Greek elements and some Russian elements, and you could just generally say, okay, they're connected to Eastern European groups and Slavic groups, but they also have connections to Spain, because the Shadow Lords were involved in the um, the conquering of the Americas, and that's an interesting sub-story within the Shadow Lords, and it gets dropped here that some, uh, some Shadow Lord um, figures were involved in the death of the last Camisots, or the Werebats, and... That, to me, is one of the coolest little story hooks that is dropped for one of the tribes. And something that I've played on and touched on and connected to several times in games that I've run. And I think it's a really interesting story, and I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. But you could dig into that if that's something that you were interested in looking into. So what would I do if I were a storyteller looking to run a plot focused on the Shadow Lords? Well, I, I'll go to the obvious one. I would connect the Death of Bat and the Camazots in to a story with the Shadow Lords right away. The second layer, and I think obvious layer, that I would do is I would say a Shadow Lord leader, perhaps a Elder or maybe an Adrin or perhaps even a, a legend, has made a deal with long-term repercussions with a vampire that now a pack of Shadow Lords has to uphold that deal. Perhaps this is a generation after. Perhaps this is multiple generations after, and there's an ancestor connection that one of the members of the, tr of the pack has with this vampire. They 
are connected to that ancestor spirit and the ancestor spirit comes to them and says look you've got to uphold this obligation we have with this vampire because if you don't the consequences will be horrible not just to our pack but to the sept perhaps even to the entire garu nation and this pulls in werewolves into doing things that they otherwise wouldn't want to do and perhaps would be really bad for them to do if they were any other tribe and i think that offers a lot of interesting story potential you could also pull in some of the you have to be the assassins of the nation you have to do things that are ultimately honorable but will appear underhanded because of the methods in which you have to use. Perhaps you have to go and kill a Silverfang leader who is clearly not mentally sound any longer, and no one else is able to or willing to take him or her on. And so you have to do so through assassination, which in any other situation would be anathema to the Garu mindset to do this, but the Shadow Lords have to do it because they know that it is the only way the nation will survive, or this leader will destroy an entire sept, and perhaps an entire sept of 30, 40, 50, maybe even 100 Garu. So it's important. It's important that somebody undertakes this task, and who better than the Shadow Lords to do it? Even though... The Shadow Lords know that if they're caught, they will be tried and they will be thrown out of the nation, at best. At worst, they're going to be killed. At really worst, they're going to be killed and perhaps their spirits are going to be like held and they're not able to reincarnate into the cycle. And that would be, that would be a huge problem, but one that could potentially be on the line for doing something like killing a Silverfang King even if it needs to happen. So, as I have said about this tribe, I enjoy them the most. I think they are one of the most interesting tribes within uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Personally, I would probably not get this particular version of the tribe book. I would pick up the revised version of the tribe book because I think it's leaps and bounds uh, better than this one. And it doesn't have some of the weird, uh, how does this actually fit into... Well, it looks like we got uh, stopped there for just a moment because I had a call come in. But I want to end this episode by saying that if you want to pick up this tribe book, you can do so, do so on DriveThruRPG. And it is a, a relatively decent tribe book for the early editions. Not that I would necessarily suggest it. I would probably say go with the revised tribe book over this one. But this is certainly one of, in some ways, the better of the ones from the first group of them. Um, I do think the Shadow Lords are my favorite tribe and definitely one that I would recommend looking into. So if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback for Werewolf the Podcast, you can uh, come to our Facebook page, Werewolf the Podcast, or you can find us on Twitter at uh, Werewolf or podcast podcast Werewolf, or you can email me at um, info at hlgcon.com and leave us feedback that way. So this has been another episode of Werewolf Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Heath. Thank you very much.